0: This is WGRE 91.5 FM, Greencastle, Indiana. Good evening, and welcome to Music for Life, Music from DePaul. In this episode, Hannah Gauthier talks to singers Dallas Gray and Marin Tack about the choir's recent performance of Benjamin Britten's monumental Rejoice in the Lamb. We send music history professor Alyssa Harbert on a tropical vacation with malfunctioning personal electronics. We chat with banjoist Jamie Stone about his visit and his innovative approach to keeping traditional music exciting and engaging, and choir director Christina Berger comes in to talk about our next green guest artist, the phenomenal all-female vocal ensemble sweet Honey in the Rock. There are lots of exciting things going on in the DePauw School of Music, and we're glad you could join us for Music for Life. On Friday, October the 9th, We continue the Green Guest Artist Concert series with the incomparable Sweet Honey in the Rock. And here to chat with me about it is our own choral conductor, Dr. Christina Berger. Welcome back to the studio. Thank you. So you know this group.
1: I do, (laughs) a little bit. So
0: tell our audience what they can expect.
1: They can expect a display of vocal virtuosity that they might not have experienced that close up before.
0: Mastery, unbelievable. Absolute
1: mastery. I think that of the many things this group has taught me, it has taught me to have a wider imagination for the possibilities for the female singing voice. Mm
0: -hmm. So the group is comprised of?
1: African-American women or actually, I'm not up on the current membership, perhaps Mm. uh, black women from other parts of the Americas, Caribbean. When I followed them, I think all the members were from the United States, Mm -hmm. black women from the United States. And they create in just about all forms of black music from Africa and the diaspora that they can successfully adapt to the vocal ensemble. So, you know, you'll hear them do reggae and rap and pygmy chant and uh, spiritual and gospel and doo-wop. They seem
0: uh, completely unintimidated by any of that. Oh, no, they're not.
1: Of course not. Just to celebrate it, yeah. Yeah,
0: they really are. It's a celebratory thing. And they even have a deaf interpreter.
1: Yes, they really led the way. I mean, that... um, They might have been the first group I saw doing that, but that, um, if you which you didn't, uh, would have attended a bunch of the um, sort of women's cultural events in the 70s I and 80s. Those. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> we checked you at the door. <laughs> but that sort of became de rigueur. It was part of, you know, expanding the accessibility uh, to all women who might have been there so that if they were deaf, they could still experience the content of what was happening. And so entire music festivals uh, in the women's movement came to be in- interpreted by sign language interpreters, which becomes this beautiful dance. Right. That My mother's even the a deaf people...
0: interpreter, and it's a really beautiful <gasps> thing to watch happen because it's like an art form of its own
1: yeah it really is and i would have to say that sweet honey was one of the mothers of bringing that onto the stage
0: yeah and i think that our audiences can expect an amazing array of music you know we come to the a concert and we think oh this is all going to be you know classical music or this is all going to be baroque music or you, you can't really come to sweet honey and the rock with
1: no no you can't notion. and the other thing that's great about it is that um we might in the conservatory have a somewhat more narrow image of what women's voices can or should do, but you'll hear a woman on the bottom who sounds like a didgeridoo, and then you'll hear whistle tones on the top and everything in between. And that's, you know, in the music of African America, that's Derry gur. You're going to hear men singing high, women singing low, and everything in between. And it's a marvelous example for all singers to explore all capacities of the voice.
0: Oftentimes, I think, people are surprised listening to them to find that it's all women. Sure, I think that's very true. Because the range is yeah, just amazing. Yeah, they
1: do such a marvelous job. You know, one of their early founders and long, long, long-time singers and co-creators, Issei Barnwell, had a classical background
2: mm-hmm.
1: as a violinist, and her compositions definitely do a beautiful job of joining the practices of African-American congregational singing to some sort of classical harmonic techniques and textures. So there's just a beautiful synthesis of, you know, the flavors of this country that we live in. And, you know, also there's plenty to please every musical palette, but, um, if you don't need to experience your music in a vacuum from your social politics, um, mm-hmm. this is also a good concert to come to, because <laughs> these women will not divorce their musical practice from the lived realities of people in the United States.
0: Right. And they've been around for such a long... They've been such a powerful voice, pardon the pun, yeah. but such a powerful voice for such a long time.
1: Yes, I've learned so much from them. I've learned history from them. I've learned a fil- lot. Th- they really have changed my life in so many important ways.
0: Mm-hmm. And you know what I love about... One of the many things I love about them is when you ask someone about them, it's almost as if they could be talking about totally different groups because they appeal to people in so many different ways. That's right. It's hard to believe that one group can be all of that to so many different people. They
1: do that very consciously. You know, they have to talk very carefully amongst themselves about the messages that it's important for them to put out there and the ways in which to do that so that Uh, everybody will feel that we can listen and ponder and Mm -hmm. and be included in it, um, but also perhaps be challenged to extend our thought in a direction where it hasn't gone before.
0: And for so many groups that came to light in our time, mm-hmm. we've been at this too long, we, but we, <laughs> we, we've been at this so long that we've watched them change, you know, they, they've, they've turned over folks and yes. people have begun to change. When you think about all the groups that have inspired us when we were students, yes. um, you know, now they're on their second or third or fourth iteration, but Sweet Honey does an amazing job of always having this consistency of, not just of their product, that, that, that's always such incredibly high quality music, but they've not changed who they are at all, even though the personnel is Change.
1: I'm excited to hear that because it's been actually many years since I've heard that. Mm-hmm. And uh, this will be the first time I hear them when I don't know anybody who's on the stage, I believe, although right. I, haven't, I haven't checked the personnel. But um, yeah, I'll be listening for that. I'm very, very eager.
0: Yeah, this is going to be a remarkable concert. It's on Friday night, October the 9th at 730 in Kresge Auditorium. It's the continuation of the Green Guest Artist Concert Series. Tickets are available online on our website at depaw.edu or at brownpapertickets.com and thanks for coming in to chat about it.
1: Thank you.
3: Hello music lovers and welcome to the events calendar for the week of October 5th. First off, I'd just like to congratulate everyone who was cast in the opera and a big congratulations to the cast and crew of Spamalot. Monday, October 5th, brings the Ensemble in Residence Dakota here to campus. This is their first visit of the year, and they'll be here all week, so make sure you get a chance to talk to them while they're here. Tuesday, October 6th, at 7 p.m. at Music on the Square, will be the second Storytellers event. It'll be another night hosted by Derek Truby and Dylan Prentice, and the last one was such a hit, so we're expecting great things from this one as well, and that's 7 o'clock, at Music on the Square. Wednesday, October 7th, Dakota will be performing at the School of Music Recital Hour in Thompson at 1020. And at six o'clock that evening on October 7th, Drew Casey will be performing at Almost Home. And at 7.30 on October 7th in Kresge, the DePauw Jazz Ensemble will be having their first concert of the year. Friday, October 9th, will be our next Green Guest Artist Concert, Sweet Honey in the Rock, and that is sure to be a fantastic concert, so make sure you get yourself there at 7.30, October 9th. This has been the events calendar for the week of October 5th. Thank you very much.
0: From the student recital hour of September 30th, 2015, pianist Emily Chen performs Frederick Chopin's Nocturne in C minor, Opus 48, number 1. Joining us in the studio after performing to an enthusiastic crowd that spilled way beyond the borders of DePauw's campus by drawing audiences from around Putnam County and throughout central Indiana is Jamie Stone, self-described banjoist, composer, instigator, and leader of the Lomax Project. Welcome, Jamie. Hello. So let's start with the name, the Lomax Project clearly a reference to Alan Lomax's work at the early part of the 20th century to capture the stories and music of people of all walks of life. But if you would share with us why you chose to hone in on this one person and this one significant cultural historian as the centerpiece of this work. Well,
4: I've been interested in traditional music for over 20 years. And as long as I've been playing the banjo, I've been aware of Alan Lomax's field recordings because he just made so many. And it dawned on me after a while um, reflecting you know in more recent years how much music that I know and love uh, comes from recordings that he made and, and songs that I I know that are, are things that he preserved that we wouldn't likely have uh, if he hadn't captured them on field recordings and right around that same time I had this epiphany John Swed wrote a book called Alan Lomax the man who recorded the World. That's an, Incredible read. Mm, mm. Um, it's a reads like a mystery novel, at least for someone <laughs> like me. Um, and I started researching and, and digging into further corners of the archive. And I was just so moved by all the sounds I was hearing. And, and, and it was so vast that it seemed like even though on the surface it's a very specific project, we're kind of under the umbrella of this one archive. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's also you know, takes you around the world, takes you to most corners and counties of this country, and it explores a lot of musical terrain that I was already interested in or or wanted to explore further. So it's been a good umbrella to work under.
0: And people often look at folk music as a look backward, but in your case, it's also a bit of a look forward, the way that you create or recreate a new world of sound there. And in 21CM, we're always interested in how professionally trained musicians choose to Explore their world and I was really struck in hearing the performance last night at how Sound is created in a unique way for this project. You must have spent a lot of time investigating that
4: I Have um, I mean, that's really at the core of the project It's also really at the center of the folk process itself Mm -hmm. Um, There is no song without a singer you know there is no like a platonic ideal of a song maybe in a <laughs> songbook somewhere but right. um the only Actual versions we have are from living people or preserved recordings. And so they're all moments in time that have been captured. You know, these songs are not alive on the page. They're alive when someone makes them, and they make them according to their own aesthetic compass and musical priorities. And so even in the folk tradition, nobody is, like, emblematic of the folk tradition. Everybody's really their own person. And right. and they come, especially in the old days, from regional styles, and they have... You know, uh, in many cases, what Mike Seeger used to call one person styles, which is, you know, (laughs) uh, somebody would blow through town and you'd hear them play the fiddle or you'd hear them sing a song. And and of course, you didn't have uh, any way to capture it on recording in the old days. And so you'd remember it how you would remember it. And then you'd play it on whatever instrument you had, whatever you could remember. You'd make up new words if you forgot them. And that's sort of a, a living part of the tradition. And then where it comes to us. I have certain things that I love and I have a lot of influences that I'm more than happy to be in the room with me and with us. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like working with people who have one foot in tradition and one foot you know, in their own sound or more in a contemporary approach. And so there are elements of chamber music in the way that we play together and the way we orchestrate things. And there's you know modern ideas in terms of harmony. And I'm happy to allow the tunes to move with the people that are making the music. And we try and kind of keep a touchstone through research and through listening to these old recordings. Um, So as long as I'm grounded and I really understand what
0: I'm hearing from the past, I feel like I can actually just do what I do. Mm I used to live along the Shenandoah River and felt that, oh, Shenandoah was one of the most beautiful melodies ever written. I tried to set it as a composer and arranger many times, all failures, because I could never do anything that was more beautiful than the tune itself. And your performance of Shenandoah is particularly moving and a bit unusual. Can you tell me a little bit about that, the provenance of it, how, what you're about when you're performing that work?
4: Mm-hmm. I, in some ways, feel like that's the, the pinnacle of the album or at least it's the one that really allows us to do the full scope of what we do I mean a lot of it is Margaret's voice she has just such a unique she has
0: a remarkable voice-hmm
4: her ability to channel emotion it's like I, I think of her as almost like a, an emotional virtuoso Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not so much in a technical way when we think of that word, but actually her ability to like evoke feeling and whoever it's a, listens. It's,
0: it's a voice you cannot ignore. Mm-hmm. You know, there's music that you could put on in the background, but this would never suffice for that mm-hmm. because it's a voice you can't ignore. It reaches out and grabs you. And what
4: I really like about the arrangement is just the the arc of it. I mean, it starts with just this kind of bowed. Um, string section um, with just allowing the beginning of the story to make itself known. And then it sort of takes off from there and has, you know, drums and, you know, like kind of big um, solos that you might find in a jazz piece or mm-hmm. something like that. And, mm-hmm. and we sort of built some interludes into it. And um, yeah, I, I really love the way that one turned out.
0: It's a striking tune, and it always has been. And I've heard so many versions of it throughout my life and had them running through my head as I was running along the river at different points in my life as well. But your performance of it is totally fresh and new. Thanks. So we met last year when Silk Road came to town. We had the Global Musician Workshop here at DePauw, and I was really struck by the beauty of that week because... That was a great experience seeing such accomplished musicians, but also seeing student musicians really learning at the feet of the masters. How'd that go for you? It was amazing. I mean, I felt like, as I do
4: in the best teaching moments where I'm just there learning as curious as ever alongside everyone <laughs> else, I just happened to be on one side of the fence. So it was an incredible learning experience for me. I had a lot of like great breakthroughs um, just in my own musicianship and teaching. And yeah, the level of the students was so high and and rare to have a group where there's so many incredible students. Right. Um, From all
0: over the world. I mean, playing all kinds of instruments, you know, it was such an inclusive week. mm -hmm. In fact, one of my
4: ensembles had a bass player uh, named Andrew Ryan, and uh, I just hired him for a tour
0: (laughs) (laughs) coming up next month. How Um, about that? So it's like that. That's really terrific. You know, you've got this real do-it-yourself kind of attitude about your career, and I was looking at your website. I want to read this. I love dreaming big ideas, instigating new projects, and working with people. I'm deeply interested in the process of collaboration and thrive on both envisioning new things and making them happen. And then you list about 600 ways you move through the world as a professional, including a record producer, education and community outreach program leader, composer for theater and film, career counselor for musicians, art director, and it goes on and on. And I imagine this reflects your deep belief that artist musicians need to see themselves as cultural entrepreneurs. That's kind of what 21CM is all about. What is a cultural entrepreneur to you, and how do artist musicians leverage their creativity to think more entrepreneurially? You're the poster child for this.
4: Well, I think it's undeniable in this world now. You know, there was a move that got made... I don't know when, but where artists became seen as a trade alongside, you know, being a plumber or Mm -hmm. being an architect, Mm -hmm. Um, whereas for centuries, the king would have musicians in their court, Mm -hmm. or they were funded by the church or, um, you know, patrons. And I I feel like the whole model has really changed, where now... In some ways, you know, as somebody that loves to create and improvise, I feel like one's career is the ultimate creation and improvisation where we're trying to figure it out, the landscape's changing, constantly and these days fast. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You never know what to expect, both of your own work and about its reception in the world. And then it's constantly evolving. I mean, the difference, I think, for someone who's kind of doing it themselves and honing their own vision of their career is really that it's a trajectory that is going to be ever changing, but this thing that you want to do likely for your whole life. So I think you know being an entrepreneur goes hand in hand with moving about in today's world. Um, and you know, for me, it started early. I decided that I wanted to play the banjo in an unusual way. And it was obvious (laughs) that no one was going to call me and say, Hey, we're really hearing bode banjo on this piece because nobody played bode banjo. Um, so I realized I needed to create a context for the work that I wanted to make. And then I quickly realized that, well, I don't drink and I don't like spending time in bars. So the obvious first step that most musicians go through was just not really an option for me. So I actually started putting on concerts in places that I like to spend time. So yoga studios and mm-hmm. art galleries and loft spaces. Mm-hmm. And then of course I needed to advertise and I thought, well, if I'm going to make a poster, I should make it beautiful <laughs> um, and I should make it reflect the music in some way. This
0: is how it happens.
4: And so it really just sort of happened inch one by thing inch. at a time. And then I remember I got my first festival gig and all of a sudden, I walked into a town I'd never played in, and there was a, a hundred people there in this room just there to listen to music. And they paid us a guarantee, and I thought, this is where it's at. I, you know, I didn't know anything about the Performing Arts Center world or any of that stuff, but I was like, whatever is going on here, this is what I want to do. And I basically had my sights set on that. And, and you know, it's as much about who I am and how I see the space around the music as much as anything. And and I think that whole recipe for how you build your living and, and make a livelihood is really different, as different as everybody's music is.
0: I've been fortunate throughout my career as an orchestral musician and a jazz musician and a musical theater person and a folk musician for a while. And when the folk music world is a beautiful world, and there is an immediacy to the musician and the music, and there's an obvious love that you see without a lot of trappings. It's just direct. It plugs right into the power source. And I saw that on your visit to campus, both when you were here in the summer and on this visit as well. We hope to have you back again. And thanks for blessing our community with this great music. Thank you. We're going to close with something really beautiful. This is called, before this time, another year. Be sure to look up Jamie on his website, jamiestone, J-A-Y-M-E-S-T-O-N-E.com. Mm.
5: Before this time, another year, I might be gone in some lonesome graveyard. Oh Lordy, how long before I go? How long? Well, I'd like to know how, long? how many more days how long? Still I'm wrapped in a clay, for I'm dead and gone. I hear the angel's song till I leave my body inside, till my soul's with God. Alone. Before this time, another year, I might be gone. It's some lonesome graveyard. Oh, Lordy, I will know. God give no up. The rainbow shines, said no more water. It's the fire next time. From the east to the west, the fire's gonna roll. Oh, Lord, have some mercy on my puzzle. How long before this time? Another year, I might be gone. It's yeah, some lonesome grave. Oh, Lord, how long? Time is a puzzle. Haven't solved it yet. I got friends that are gone before me. Yeah, friends that have not met yet. Long till the walls dividing, till they fall away. Till they all be together on the judgment day. How long before that's time another year? I might be gone in some lonesome grave. 60 rains oh. On my tree of life oh. I take covenant and joy oh. With all this trouble and strife oh. Can I sing with the children oh. To are singing for me How long oh. till I float this river oh. All the way to the sea now How oh. oh. long Before this time Another year I, I might be gone, gone. Oh. It's some lonesome day trumpet now I said I want you to blow it play it nice and even you gotta wake up the preacher go wake up the deacon, wake up all the children wherever they're sleeping wake all God's creatures tell them lay down you weeping, wake up your memory lay down your trembling throw down your sorrow Don't forget about tomorrow. Before this time, another year, I might be gone in some lonesome graveyard. Oh, now, before this time, another year, I might be gone in some lonesome graveyard.
0: Last week, we welcomed Alyssa Harbert to the studio to introduce our listeners to our new professor of music history. This week, we welcome her to the studio to inform her that she's being kicked out and sent off to a desert island with a defective five-minute iPod. So the iPod will only play for five minutes, and this is the music she is subjected to until she expires, is rescued, or we decide to let her come home. We haven't decided which yet. So You've got five minutes of music, Alyssa. What is it?
6: This was a very, very difficult decision. (laughs) Um, I chose for my iPod Ich nicht by Robert Schumann, a wonderful little song that is, in my mind, heartbreaking and hilarious because the singer says over and over again, I bear no grudge, even though my heart is breaking. I don't bear a grudge. I'm not complaining. I'm, I don't care. But clearly he cares very deeply uh, and says it over and over. Since that's only about a minute and a half if performed quickly, I also included a song by Alison Krauss and Robert Plant from their award-winning album Raising Sand. The song is called Sister Rosetta Goes Before Us, and it's a tribute to Sister Rosetta Tharp, the early rhythm and blues and rock and roll singer who paved the way for some of the great American popular music of the 20th century. I love this album. I find it very charming and entrancing, and I hope you will enjoy this song by Alison Krauss and Robert Plant.
0: So now these are a couple of interesting choices. First of all, you are an oboe major. Yes. And the oboe is noticeably lacking in either of these songs.
6: (laughs) There aren't a lot of five-minute oboe pieces. Um,
0: (laughs) That's fair enough. And then I'm taking a little theme here in the lyric to the Schumann. That you're not bitter about us having sent you off to this island?
6: (laughs) Goodness gracious. No, I would listen to this song if you had sent me off to the Ritz-Carlton. Oh, okay,
0: okay. (laughs) Just checking to be sure there. Okay. And then Alison Krauss and Robert Plant. Boy, what an interesting pairing.
6: Yes, absolutely. To pair this hard, heavy metal type singer with this beautiful, ethereal folk singer, um, I think it really epitomizes the spirit of collaboration and the potential for Cross musical pollination, if you will.
0: Well, your choices are so good. We'll probably have to come back to the island and pick you up so that we can join in on listening.
6: Wonderful. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) Good to have you here. Thank you.
7: in diamante Pracht. Es fällt ein Strahl in deines Herzens Nacht. Das weiß ich längst. Ich krolle nicht und wenn das Herz
8: things are
3: Hannah Gothier and with me in the studio today I have sophomore voice major Marin Tack. Hello. Hello. And senior voice major Dallas Gray. Hi. Thank you guys so much for coming in to talk to me today. This past weekend the DePaul Choirs had a flora and fauna concert and it had a lot of um, music from around the globe and throughout history. There was the Pool Link set with Caroline Smith and Amanda Hobson, but I think the standout piece from that concert was the performance of Benjamin Britten's Rejoice in the Lamb. How cool yes. was it to do this piece since this is like a really important piece in choral music? Marin? I think this piece was really important
9: because it was, I mean, it was a challenge. Mm-hmm. Rhythmically, also just staying together and then singing it combined with the choirs together um, was really interesting because it was so many people and also just. Seeing so many people get excited about doing the piece just because it's so well-known, um, and then getting to perform it was another experience in itself, you know, because performing this in front of a ton of people is just, like, mm-hmm. it's really moving. The whole movement is very moving in general.
7: Yeah. There's definitely a difference between just rehearsing it and then performing it for an audience. Mm-hmm. The way Benjamin Britten composed this, there's just these gorgeous chords and cadences that's just, like, you literally melt in your seat, (laughs) you know, it's just, it's amazing.
3: And all the poetry was written inside a mental institution, which Mm -hmm. I think is super wacky. Mm -hmm.
7: Yeah, that's one thing Dr. Berger, our choir director, really focused on, like, getting the historical background of the piece and really understanding that this text is, you know, about God and it's very religious, but just where it was written is, like, even in that dark, terrible place, you were still able to bring light to such amazing work.
3: Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So the preparation for this, I mean, uh, Marin, you're in University Chorus. What was that like? The preparation was really lengthy. I mean, it took a lot of
9: time, you know, to, to move from movement to movement. We started at the beginning and kind of at the end as well. We started at both ends and then just kind of built in from there. And it was mostly, you know, getting all the rhythms, And then slowly adding in the notes and then talking about the interpretation Mm -hmm. and so it was basically like building this foundation and then building off of this foundation to actually make this piece work which was really interesting and really fun
3: awesome and what about uh dallas here in chamber singers i understand you guys had a ton of music you were also learning so what was that like alongside this monumental piece
7: yeah we got the piece in chunks basically Mm -hmm. and um a lot, like Maren said, a lot of it was, you know, focusing on getting the rhythm correct and then putting the notes with it. And yeah, we had like seven or eight other pieces that we performed on this concert. So we focused on that a whole lot. But it was very nice to be able to put it together with the university chorus because it's just like it's so different hearing that piece in like a chamber setting. Mm-hmm and then in like a huge like ensemble setting it just it's awesome but it was pretty lengthy rehearsal (laughs) process for sure
3: yeah now the standout movement was the final movement going into the repeat of the hallelujah section Mm -hmm. can you talk about that a little bit like what was so exciting about that part what really made it so moving
7: I really liked what the bass solo says right before that final movement, mm-hmm. and like the last thing he says for M is music, and therefore he is God, mm-hmm. and it was just like,
3: ah, oh. and that was oh my God, uh, Logan Delacqua in that solo, right? Right, yeah, yeah. And that was fantastic. And he killed it; it was yeah. great. Mm-hmm.
7: And then there's like this final chord with all of the men in the ensemble. That's just like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's mm-hmm. just so gorgeous. Like it's yeah. just amazing. American. Yeah, well,
9: kind of going off of that final chord thing with all the men on that chord being amazing, Dr. Berger had mentioned that this song, she had sung this song when she was younger. And when they sang that chord and when they were singing those really, you know, like really tight knit chords at the end, she realized, like, oh, I want to be a choral director. I want to be involved in more choral experiences. Mm-hmm. And when she said that, I was kind of like, oh, you know, okay. And yes, this is beautiful and everything. And then, but when you actually perform it, And then we got to that part, I was like, oh, I kind of understand now, like you get that, just like that rush, Mm -hmm. because it's just so, it's quiet, everybody is so like in tune with everyone else, the audience is so in tune with the choir, it's just like this really cool moment.
3: That's really beautiful. I feel like everyone in the audience at that point was really, Mm -hmm. really focused in and just really felt what everyone in the choir was feeling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely beautiful. Well, it is always so thrilling to be able to work together on something this monumental and exciting. So Mm -hmm. thank you guys so much for coming in to talk to me about this today. Thank you, Dallas. Thank you. And thank you, Maren. Thank you so much.
0: From their concert of September 27th, 2015, Christina Berger directs soloists Addie Sterrett, Dana Hart, Lance Orta, and Logan Delacqua, organist Carla Edwards, and the DePauw University Choirs as they perform Benjamin Britten's Rejoice in the Lamb. We hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of Music for Life. We love hearing from listeners. You can contact us by emailing musicforlife at depaw.edu. We're also on Facebook at DePaw Music for Life. And you can subscribe to our show on iTunes by searching there for DePaw Music for Life. Our student producers are Hannah Gauthier, Burke Stanton, Rachel Amalfitano, and Matt Skiba. Veronica Pedral is our online editor, and our show is produced by Matthew Champagne in the Judson and Joyce Green Center for the Performing Arts at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana. I'm Mark McCoy, Dean of the School of Music. Thank you for listening to our show. Keep music in your life and have a great week. It's music for life.